0: commitment, dedication, success, Copland, Keebler, and Wallace. Take most trusted name in executive search and consulting welcomes you to the W podcast, where we delve deep into the not-so-simple art of hospitality. And now here's your host, award-winning journalist, compelling storyteller, and video strategist, Corey Saban.
1: And welcome to today's show. I'm Corey Saban from CS Media Works. It's great to be with you. And today I want to welcome two wonderful people, both dynamic leaders. First, Tom Wallace, the name managing partner of Copland Keebler Wallace and a valuable resource to the Club Managers Association of America, where he often speaks at their world conferences and local chapters. Prior to becoming a consultant, he served in management in some of the country's most recognized private clubs, including the famed Oakmont Country Club, where under his guidance, they hosted three major golf championships in a seven-year period. He spent 25 years in club management, but his real gift to the industry is his experience in transformational leadership, where he has cultivated some of the most loyal, high-performing teams and provided countless clubs with Helpful Goals to Create a Positive Club Culture. Tom, thanks for taking the time. Hey,
0: Corey. Always good to be here. Thanks for hosting. Uh, This is going to be a great one. We're very excited to be able to have a chat with Brett today.
1: Yes, and our second guest, that's right, is Brett Morris, the General Manager and Chief Operating Officer at the club at Admirals Cove. With more than 30 years of executive management experience, he has an exemplary record of results driving prestigious clubs forward with visionary leadership and deep industry expertise. Brett is the 2022 Club Executive of the Year and is incredibly proud of the leaders he has developed who have gone on to become general managers As well as the dozens of employees he has mentored that he has empowered to do their very best, creating a culture where people want to work, learn and grow. He is a frequent speaker at local and national CMAA events as well, often sharing his outline for creating a culture of excellence. Brad, so great to have you. Thanks, Corey. And I'm happy to be here today with you and Tom. So, Brad, I'm just curious, how did you get into the club space?
2: So I guess uh, I, I kind of got lucky. You know, I was I went to the Culinary Institute of America and uh, was working after not long after graduating culinary school with a company called Gilbert Robinson. They owned a bunch of restaurants at the time, but one of the restaurants that I was working at was called Fulahan. And albeit, I wanted to be the best chef I could, but I really didn't have any management skills, and they had a great management training program. So I went through their management training program Not longer after that, I got approached by a recruiter in the industry that said, hey, there's an executive chef position open at a club in Greenwich, Connecticut. Are you interested in it? And I hadn't really known much about the country club space but was interested in kind of furthering my career. So I went on the interview, and the rest is history. I've been in the club business now since uh, 1989.
1: Wow. 1989. And Tom, you know, here you are in Ohio and Brett's up in the Northeast, but eventually you two great leaders cross paths. So Tom, how did you guys get to know each other and what are some of the highlights from your relationship?
0: Well, uh, we've had many. I, we, I, am lucky enough to count Brett as one of my close friends, but I first heard of him from Kurt Keebler who told me about, uh, up in New York and he, he's like, this guy, we, we've got to keep an eye on him. He's really sharp and he gave me a little bit of his background. And then once I heard his name, it seemed like his name never stopped coming up uh, anytime I was in the New York area. Everybody was always talking about what they were doing and how he was leading the way. But most importantly and I think this, is, this speaks to his leadership, uh, people I met uh, uh, like Jeff Martochi and others that have worked under Brett and with Brett that were just couldn't have been more passionate about how good of a teacher mentor he was to them and uh, there was young folks older folks they all uh, spoke just highly of how Brett not only taught them well but also encouraged them to go out and, and succeed on their own which you know we're big fans of the KKW so I was excited to hear all that and yeah I think the first time we, he and I got together was at a conference and it, of course he was wanting to get together with me, not for himself, but to talk about one of his old assistants and that we needed to get him a GM job because he was ready. And, uh, I, I think that, I think that will probably be the first time that we kind of hung out together was uh, at that conference. If you remember Brett.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I remember it well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that person did go on and became a very successful general manager and has, has had a great career as a, many that have worked uh, with Brett over the years. So I think those are the things, obviously the KKMW summits over the years, Brett hosted, uh, Brett and uh, Matt Lambert hosted this year, our summit and, uh, you know, Admiral's coach just absolutely killed it. And he's just, he's just become a close personal friend. And as much as we're on the road and as busy as Brett is, I think we've stayed close and connected. He's also a very close friend of Kurt Diebler and, someone that Dick Copland holds in the highest of regards. And as soon as I found out he won club executive of the year, I was so happy. It really made me feel good. And uh, I was like, we've got to get him on this podcast and talk to him about that. And just all the other great things he's done that push this industry forward. Thanks Tom. I really appreciate it. Oh, you bet. Yeah. You know, I, my, one of my most proud moments prior to him winning this award, Corey, uh, he spoke, at the conference a couple of years ago. And there were so many people in his wanting to hear him speak. There must've been 50 of us that couldn't get into the room. Mm. I don't know if Brett noticed this. You probably did, Brett.
2: I, I remember seeing you guys room. in the back. I remember seeing <laughs> you guys in the back room. I said, Oh God, the pressure's on. The k team is at one of my sessions.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there must've been, it, it was probably hundreds of people seated. And then there's probably at least, Corey, I kid you not another hundred that were just standing in the doorways listening. So it really made me feel good. And I know for, for me, I was like, Brett, people finally really appreciate the work that Brett's putting into this industry and what he's accomplished. Uh, and certainly the award is the icing on that cake. But I, I just remember uh, Carmen Missouri and I were standing out back and we we're like, this has got to be, this got to make him feel real good about his accomplishments. So yeah, those are just a couple of my. My memory certainly uh, was able to celebrate my 50th birthday with Brett and his team this year, which was awesome and fun. And my family got to be there, which was awesome. But, uh, yeah, many memories and many more to come, I hope. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So, Tom, when you look at uh, Brett's career and you look at everything, what really stands out to you? And who do you think is uh, a role model then for Brett, if you had to speculate? Gosh, you know,
0: I, I'm I want to know who the people are in his life that he, you know, obviously his family, but who professionally and personally were his mentors. I'm really looking forward to that. I think he. It's funny, as I said earlier, he mentors so well. He's so creative. He's so matter of fact, but his gra- his gravitas. When Brett walks into a room, uh, you don't you, you see someone that is you want to get to know. He's got that warm gravitas that not hey, I'm, I'm the boss. It's, hey, I want to get to know you. I want to know your story. That That's what I think is most special. When you run one of the best clubs in the country and it's a massive operation, expectations are through the roof. And almost every, probably every club Brett's worked at has had that same kind of model. And he, he still comes into a room and really wants to engage with you and find out about you. So I guess, Brett, who are, you know, growing up, who are your mentors personally and professionally that really kind of taught you how to be who you are today?
2: You know, I appreciate that, Tom. And I've been really lucky to have a bunch of great mentors in my career. And, you know, most of them are either club presidents that I've worked for or house chairmen that I've worked with um, over the years that have literally helped shape me as a professional. And, you know, look, I was, I was lucky when I was, Kind of coming up in in the in the business, um, and and I've had I have a lot of a lot of stories I could tell for hours, uh, both positive and negative, you know, that have kind of shaped me as a professional. But I you know a lot of this my success has been through some of it, you know, hard work, but luck being in the right place at the right time. But I was <clears throat> the executive chef at Waikigale Country Club. I first when I got the job at Millbrook. And that was my first club job. I wanted to kind of get to a bigger club. And, you know, I, I interviewed for the executive chef job over at Weikigil, And um, there was a gentleman who was the general manager of Waikiko Country Club, which you know well, Tom. And you probably don't know him, Corey. It's a guy by the name of Ken Coral. Ken was the yep. GM yep. at Waikiko at the time. And Ken interviewed me for the executive chef job. And I um, got all the way to the finalist. And I didn't really connect well with the president of the club for whatever reason. I was intimidated by the guy. And Ken calls me up. He says, hey, Brett, we want to check your references. And I said, you know what, Ken? I, I think I'm going to withdraw my candidacy for the executive chef job. He said, why? He said, I said, because you know what? I, I just don't really feel comfortable with Don Walsh, the president of the club, doing my reference checks. If I don't get the job, it could expose me, and I could lose my current position. So please withdraw my resume. And, Ken talked to me for about a half an hour, talked me off the ledge, and that was probably a really defining moment in my career because they checked my references. I went on to accept the job, and then two years later, Ken resigned as general manager and comes to me and says to me, hey, Brett, I'm moving on. I know you love the members, being around the members. You need to apply for the GM job role here at Waikiki." And I had had a conversation with Don Walsh, the guy that intimidated me. And the guy became one of my biggest advocates. And he was one of my first real mentors in the club industry. And uh, he was heading out as president. So they disbanded the general manager position for a year. Promoted me to director of food and beverage and clubhouse operations. Promoted the director of finance to director of finance and administration and promoted the golf course superintendent to director of agronomy and sports at the club. And it worked for about a year, but then they realized, Hey, look, there needs to be somebody at the top making the decisions. Um, And then they promoted me to general manager. But had I not kind of had that conversation with Ken and if he had turned around and said to me, Hey Brett, you know, all right, I'll withdraw your app, you know, your candidacy. My career could have taken a different direction. So Ken played a big part in my career and Ken and I are still really good friends, but you know, the past presidents that I've worked with and, and currently work with have really helped push me and continue to grow me as a professional in the industry. And I'm, you know, forever grateful for, you know, the time they put in the friendships that I've created over the years with them.
0: Okay. So that, that leads to two quick follow-up questions. One, you know, we've seen so many great chefs uh, that have transitioned now and are leaders at clubs. What, clubs what, do you think, what, what do you think it is that gives them the ability to be so successful? Um, you, you know, you're a great example. I know you have several friends that, that have come out of the culinary background and been successful. What do you think the skill set is that's allowed you to come in and be so successful? Uh, with that that culinary background?
2: I think, uh, you know, as a chef, you've got a creative background in you. And, you know, that kind of, you know, you can move that across the club with events and all the different things that you do. But passion for the industry, dealing with people, being able to handle the pressure that goes on in the kitchen. Because, you know, there's a lot of pressure that goes on throughout the club, outside of the kitchen. I think, Tom, you know better than anybody, you know, in the business that you're in, probably one of the biggest things you come across as clubs is what food and beverage issues that, that, you know, you know, clubs constantly struggle with and look, even though I've been in the business as long as I have, you know, Corey will tell you, you know, him and I are good friends. I mean, I struggle every day, you know, with food and beverage, um, challenges. And I talk about that at conferences, you know, one of the biggest things, I mean, yeah, I run a big operation, you know, Admiral's Cove is probably a seventy or eighty million dollar business, and people say to me at conference, "Yeah, you don't have the same challenges I have." I'm like, I absolutely do. Food and beverage, number one challenge at our club. You know, consistency. You know, staff training, hiring, retaining quality staff, rising labor costs, member engagement. It doesn't matter the size of the club, we all have these challenges at our at our clubs. But you know being a chef and moving outside of the kitchen has helped me, um, in my career because, uh, we do face a lot of challenges and that pressure is always on. And, you know, the pressures of being in a kitchen and having to get food out of the kitchen and sense of urgency and dealing with issues on a daily basis has helped me, you know, kind of mold my career through the years. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, the other thing is, and we
0: have, as you know, we're, Important that we continue to develop all the young people. But what, what happens when you get a president? Now you can learn from every president, good and bad, right? But what happens? And we won't name names, but when you've had a difficult president, have you have you been able to learn from them? And how do you suggest when a young manager gets into a situation where maybe the president isn't uh, in sync with you? How do you work through that? I'm sure that's happened to you as you go have gone along in your career.
2: Yeah, I think, look, I think everybody, you know, that we come across in our career and on a governance level at clubs has their hot buttons and things like that that they like to see either, you know, improved or kind of pushes them to like push you harder as a leader. And, you know, it's kind of being able to work with that person on a level and understanding kind of what makes them tick and what's important to the organization. But I think that one of the big things that, you know, I see is is, you know, also working with the board and making sure the board is aligned with you and the president as well. Because you know, a lot a lot of times presidents they they come on board and their their issue is food and beverage or their issue is the golf courses and the way they like to, to see it all the time. Um, but it, it's working with those people and understanding kind of what makes them tick and and. You know, kind of prioritizing that, but also looking at the whole business and seeing how that, you know, intersects with what your president needs and desires are. Because, you know, I think, and again, I'm sure you guys talk a lot about governance, Tom, and, you know, people coming onto boards with certain agendas. You know, you, you, you pissed my wife off one day and now I'm coming on the board to, you know, make your wife, uh, you know, miserable because uh, you upset my my family member or my spouse um, but you know keeping them focused on what the most important things are in the organization not just what their personal agenda is is key to the success of a, of a young manager and setting goals and KPIs and um, you know working together with the board to partner with them that's awesome yeah I
0: know you I know you've had some great ones and you've had some challenging ones but you always seem to be able to work that out and get get what's best for the club done, which is very important.
1: Corey, I know you might have a follow-up question. Yeah, I absolutely do. Thanks, Tom. You know, Brett, there's a couple of things I really admire about you when we work professionally together. That is your keen eye, your attention to detail on everything, uh, which is amazing. And then your street smarts and your ability to surround yourself with people who are smarter in other areas to learn from them and not have an inferiority complex. And you do that incredibly well. But to Tom's point of advice you can give to younger leaders, what advice would you give them oftentimes about the importance of having your board stay in their lane and you stay in your lane?
2: Yeah, I think it's important, obviously, you know, sometimes, maybe more than others, managers are scared to speak up at, uh, at board meetings. And I think boards more than ever are looking for leaders. And and that goes across the board. I mean, you know, it used to be that chef, you know, when you hired a chef, you just hired him for his cooking ability. I think now when we hire chefs, we're looking for chefs, not only that can cook great, but that are great leaders in their kitchen because they're running a business. But, you know, for young leaders that are coming up, you know, my whole thing is, If I'm going to live by the sword, I'm going to die by my own sword, not by somebody else's. You know, boards that like to micromanage operations, uh, the second things go wrong, what do they do? They throw the manager under the bus and the manager ends up getting, you know, let go. And then the clubs just continue on and they hire another manager. You know, my whole thing is, you know, when I'm in a board meeting, I have no problem listening to what the board has to say. But then... Offering my opinion on where I think things should go. And we may not always agree on everything. And it it happens, you know, but, you know, we do it in a way where we're not disagreeable in the board meeting. And one thing I've learned through my career is I don't necessarily say with the board, I disagree with you. What I say is, let me push back a little on what you're saying. Or, you know, because that is a way to say I'm disagreeing, but doing it in a respectful way. A lot of times when you're in a conversation, if you disagree with something, you can say, I disagree. Well, that comes off a little harder than by saying, but let me push back a little bit on what you're saying and give you my perspective on it. Um, and that goes with, you know, board meetings. It goes with construction projects. It goes with a lot of things across the, the you know, on, on what we do as, as leaders in the industry. And and like you said, Corey, surrounding yourself with the best. I have no problem hiring somebody that I think is smarter than me in a certain area. Because our job as leaders are to surround yourself with with smart people. Because we're a team. We look good together and we look bad together. I can't be an expert on every single thing in our industry. I've been in the golf business now over 30 years, but I'm not a golfer. I'll be honest. I play golf a couple times a year and I got to hire an expert and hold that person accountable and set goals and objectives and make sure that we're getting the best product we possibly can get. That's what our job is as leaders is to get great people, to build a great team and to let that team do their job and just hold them accountable. Because that's what the board does. You know, they let me run the operations, they understand what their roles and responsibilities are, is to set policy, hold me accountable, and, you know, kind of just oversee the entire operation. Uh, That's what the board does.
0: Yeah, that's a great answer. That's a great answer. Um, Brett, the next question I'm going to get into is, you know, what are you looking forward to? What are the things personally and professionally that stimulate and energize you? Because you are always... I'm sure there are moments, but every time I've been around you, you're so upbeat, uh, you're ready to go, ready to face the day. So wh- what are, who are the people or what are the things that kind of get you going every day so you're ready to come in and be the leader at Admiral's Cove and, and be a, a father and a husband and all those good things?
2: Yeah, I, thanks, Tom. I think, look, one thing I look forward to is giving back to an organization that's been so great to me. Look, I started in this business, Tom, as a dishwasher. That was kind of my first job, you know, in high school. And, you know, if I'm being totally honest, never thought I'd be where I am today, doing what I'm doing today, speaking in front of the people I speak to and being able to to give back to an industry that's really been good to me. And, you know, so me being able to speak at conference or mentor younger people or, you know, speak at some of the BMIs that I speak at. That's what I really look forward to. Um, I look forward to continuing to grow as a professional uh, because I think when you stop learning, your career's done. You know, I never stop learning and I'm always kind of in the pursuit of like sustained excellence. How can we be better? What can we be doing differently? You know, what's the next best trend? You know, every year I go to New York, and, uh, I spend four days or three days in New York with a friend of mine that, you know, really well, Mark Filippo, yeah. um, I've known, I've known Mark for 25 years and we, every year plan a trip. And this is something I talked to Annette about, cause Annette's like, I got to go next time you guys go. And we spend two days all over New York and we start in Brooklyn and we work our way across New York city, looking for the best bakeries, the best pizza places, the best, uh, there's this place in Brooklyn that we go to called Smorgasburg. And it's like a, it's, it's a, I mean, I just love going every year because I just get so many great ideas and it's the best food vendors in New York city. And they set up this event on Sundays and there are thousands of people that go to it. And it's just food, food and beverage, all different types of stands. And I get great ideas for the club. And I bring those ideas back to the club and we implement them Or whether it's going to, you know, the National Restaurant Association show in Chicago every year, we're picking up new ideas and bringing that back to the club. That's what energizes me. And then when we bring these ideas back to the club, seeing the faces of the members saying, wow, this is amazing. Can't wait to bring guests or, you know, being so proud of the club. That's That's what really energizes me. And that's what I kind of, look forward to year after year. And also being a mentor to the team here at the club and, you know, creating those succession plans and watching people grow in their career. You know, there's a lot of GMs out there that, that don't look at that stuff. They get intimidated by having a really great assistant GM because they're always worried about their job. I don't worry about my job. I worry about trying to help people because I wouldn't be where I am today if people didn't help me along in my career. So I feel like I'm at a point in my career where I can really kind of get back and help people. And again, help an association. That's been truly amazing um, to me and my family. Well, it's crazy. I was, I was thinking to myself,
0: where does he get all these ideas? And that's, I was so glad that was going to be my follow up question. Where does all this stuff come from? I, I obviously visited you many times over the years, every time there's an event, uh, there's something I've never seen before uh, anywhere. And, you know, you know, I certainly spend a ton of time on the road and I'm in a lot of clubs, but you're always at the tip of the spear when it comes to new and innovative ideas. Uh, So thank you for sharing that. I, I always wondered where some of your, that, those ideas and your, your inspirations came from, but also how do you, you're so energized and creative. How do you get, is it you hire people that are that way or how do you get someone that's, a, you know, a long tenured staff member excited about all the new things you've brought to Admiral's Cove? Is, it, is that hard to get somebody that maybe kind of just wants to do the same things year over year? Is it hard, hard to convince people to come over to the creative side with you?
2: Yeah. I mean, look, Tom, I think, um, you know, you try and hire people that you feel like are creative and that are energized and that, that want to kind of, be part of something. I think everybody kind of wants to be part of something, whether you're the dishwasher in the kitchen or you're the executive chef or you're head of banquets or head of the setup team. And I try and make it fun and exciting around at the club, here at the club, and include people. I mean, look, I, we're running a biz- big business here, but you know, I'm up there when we're setting up events and things like that, and I'm up there with the team and letting them do their thing, but saying, hey, if we did it this way or if we did it that way, and then letting them create it, because then it gives them a feeling of belonging. And you know, then when the event goes really well, like one, our main set-up this guy's his first name is Doobie. I love this guy. He is so excited about every event that we do. And he's like, boss, can you get me this? And can we do that? And I'm like, absolutely. Giving them the tools to succeed. And then when the event's going on, he's taking pictures of the event. He's posting it all over Facebook because he's so proud of the things that we do. And I, I think a big part of making people feel included and part of something energizes people and allowing people to express their feelings, positive or negatively, about the organization. And that's another thing I talk about at conferences, like, have you ever asked your team for feedback? Have you ever said to them, hey, we're doing it this way. How can we be better? How can we be do, it, do it differently? And listen to them. They're on the front lines every day. They just don't want to be told to do it this way. They want to be able to offer their input. And when you include them and let them offer their input, it makes them feel included and gives them that ownership and accountability, like, again, like they're part of something.
0: Yeah. But, well, first of all, I know Corey has a call-up question, but if your names do You better be very creative and fun. (laughs) I just gotta say, yeah, I don't know that. And and here's the
2: other thing, you know, Tom, and and it even goes to like like dressing. Like he came to me one day. He's like, "Hey, boss, I like the shoes you're wearing." I'm like, "You know what? Come to my office at three o'clock. I'm going to show you where I buy them, the website I get them from you, and we're going to get you four or five pairs of shoes and belts." This guy is so proud. Hey, boss, you like my shoes and belts today? I'm like, "All right." We don't wear black shoes with brown, with blue pants. We wear brown shoes with blue pants, and, and he's like, "All right, I'm on it. Next time, I'll do it."
1: And you, you tell me the same thing, though. It, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's I tell that to Corey too when he's got his pocket squares. I'm like, all right, we got, we need to work on the pockets.
1: That's it. And Tom, I'm not too ashamed <laughs> to say, I'll call him. I'll, my wife will say, uh, FaceTime Brett, so he can lay out your outfit.
2: <laughs> you I swear to God, Tom, he does. He facetimes me. I, 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 did, I knew he, I knew his, his dressing game had gone up quite a bit. So now I know
0: why. Absolutely. There you go.
2: But you don't have any problem with that, Tom. You always dress pretty snazzy. I look at what you're wearing when you're out. I see you. Listen, I gotta keep up
0: with Keebler. I came well, no, you, need to, no, no, you
2: need to teach Keebs. You gotta work on Keebs a bit. Kirk's <laughs> improving. He's taking your lead. I see it. You're rubbing off on him. <laughs>
0: Uh, All right. Before we go to our last question, I know
1: you had a follow up question, Corey, on this one. Uh, Sure. Um, You know, Brett, talk about, you know, you were talking about inspiring your team and getting the most out of them. I think one of the things I really like is what you've been doing recently to enhance the camaraderie outside the gates and getting involved in the community. So people can really get to know one another on a level where they're helping out a nonprofit and doing something that really stirs the heart. Why don't you address that a little bit?
2: Yeah, so we uh, last year created uh, a crisis and culture team, which I have to tell you both of you that, you know, it's really kind of opened my eyes to, you know, kind of what goes on outside the gates of Admiral's Cove. And, you know, it's giving back to the community, whether we're doing beach cleanups or whether we're packing backpacks for, you know, kids that just don't have the money to, um, you know, to buy this stuff, you know, families and, you know, look, we live in Palm Beach County and you think, God, it's a really wealthy area. It's like 40 or 50,000 families that live underneath the, you know, below the poverty line where they can't afford backpacks or school supplies and things like that. And it's been a a pretty profound impact on me as a professional uh, being able to go out there with a group of people and, you know, Tom, to be honest with you, Corey helped get this off the ground with us and just has helped us, you know, organize some of these events and the camaraderie that it has caused with our team and the ability to go out and do these events and then have lunch afterwards or, you know, just to work as a group doing it and giving back in the community, uh, you know, has been huge. And, and huge, I think, for the club. And, you know, we've got a foundation here at the club that uh, gives back to the community, also gives back to the staff and helps with education and uh, helps with crisis. We've got an employee crisis program where if an employee needs money for something, they can appeal to our foundation and our foundation helps their families, which, which is great um, and has been, you know, really big here for the club uh, as a whole. That's awesome. Yeah, Corey, you were telling uh, you were just recently telling me about you're
0: doing some of that work, and uh, uh, I realized you had done it for admirals. But talk a little bit about that program and and how you can help clubs with those things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's crisis management, just really getting them prepared for what could happen. And how to handle the media as opposed to saying no comment or burying your head in the sand because that's something that spews of negativity and guilt. But it's being prepared for that, but then realizing that your biggest crisis is finding people and keeping people. So getting them involved outside the gates and getting them involved with local nonprofits. You know, the the day Brett was talking about the education day where they were stuffing backpacks, that same employee, Doobie, was blown away by it. And the day I'll never forget, Tom, was we were putting together diapers for women that were giving birth, but didn't have diapers or formula through an organization. And they had all the diapers, but we needed to sort them and put them in packets. And I started talking to one of the employees and there was a young lady who said to me, I said, well, what does this mean to you? She said everything. I said, well, why? And she said, I would run through a wall for Mr. Morris." And I said, well, tell me more about that. She goes, the opportunity to do this was powerful because 20 years ago, I depended on an organization like this. And it just gave me goosebumps. And to see that camaraderie amongst the team is very powerful. And now they all like each other, like Brett was saying. When they get to the lunches, they've got that common bond outside of the gate. So you see housekeeping with F&B and F&B with golf, et cetera. So it's wonderful, Tom. It's wonderful, and I'm glad to see there are several clubs now doing it. And it's great because they're all seeing the reward. But back to you, my love friend. It, love it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I love that. I love that. Well, Brett, we got one more question.
0: I'm sure we'll probably have a couple follow-ups, and then we'll let you get back to work. But, you know, you, you've been around. I know you you have that culinary background. You're one of the finest leaders in our industry. Who are the people or organizations that you chase? You know, we're always at KKW. We look at what our, the competitors in the industry are doing, but we're always looking at Spencer Stewart and Corn Ferry. And some of the other great leaders in in the business world. Who are the people or organizations that you look at and say, "I've got to make. I want to keep an eye on what they're doing, so that uh, we can keep our sword sharp or our knife sharp, I should say." Yeah. uh, Out at at Admiral's
2: Cove. You know what, Tom? I don't think there's any one individual that I'm chasing. I, you know, I'm I'm always looking at kind of what I'm doing here at Admiral's Cove, and you know, kind of how we can be better. I, as as an organization. I, I I hate to say it, you know, I chase our critics even though I think that some of the people will never you know, there's there's people that wake up on the wrong side of the bed, but those people that criticize us, I'm always like, how can we be better? What can we be do different? What can we what can we do to make kind of squelch like the two or three percenters that are never happy with what you do? And you could say, Yeah, but they'll never be happy. But even though they'll never be happy, I still kind of listen to them because a lot of times some of the criticism, and it's hard to swallow, um, makes you better as a leader. But, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm chasing kind of what I'm doing. I'm chasing kind of what, what's going on in technology. I'm chasing, on, chasing what's going on in, you know, the hospitality industry. What's the next best? Like I said to you, always looking at how we can be better. How can we be different? what can we do differently? What, what's going to separate us from our competition? Because look, you know, there's a lot of competition here in, in South Florida and there's a lot of great leaders in our area. And, you know, I don't necessarily think who I chase. I look at like who my friends are in the industry because these are the guys that I rely on. Like, you know, Matt Lambert over at Mirasol, who's a real buddy of mine and, you know, when I've got good days, we share and When I've got bad days, we share We don't judge each other. We're always talking to each other on, you know, kind of what we're doing at our clubs and how we can be different and be better. So that's, that's kind of what I, what I look at is, you know, surrounding yourself with people that, you know, you look up to in the industry and, you know, Matt's, Matt's a guy that, you know, we're, we're like really good friends. And even though we're competitors and we're in the local area, we're always cheering each other on and that's the most important thing for me
0: yeah that's that's an amazing part about the club business and you are you are an amazing cheerleader to so many in the industry i i really am so proud and happy that you won that award but just Thanks. even happier that you're a friend of the firm and a friend of mine personally and i'm excited to see you in a couple of weeks at the conference and hopefully we get, the, get a chance to have a glass of wine together and and uh I just uh, couldn't be happier for you. And I know you're just going to continue to lead and be the tip of the spear. So uh, I'm going to turn it over to Corey. I know he has a follow-up question and then he'll wrap it up. That sounds good, Tom. Tom.
1: Um, So Brett, you know what I like is you were sharing that you're constantly chasing yourself and you really put your money where your mouth is because a lot of people would say when there's this influx of people that come to your club during the holidays, you know what, we had brunch with Santa, that's enough. Or you know what, we had this event here for the kids and their families. But you go wall to wall with a carnival that's bigger than any street fair or world fair, and then the next day you'll have something completely different, and you run the staff and you put everything together that's spectacular. Talk a little bit about that holiday week, the attention to detail that you put to it, and what it means to continue to really create the member experience, so they want to do business with you.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that, Corey. Look, I think that um, you know holiday week is obviously the, the biggest week of the year for us here in, in Florida. That's kind of like the World Series week, and where everybody's in town. And you know, when I got to Admiral's Cove, they had done this um, this event on the west side of our club, and it was like a carnival where they did it on the driving range and they had done it for many years. And when I was at Polo, we created this street fair and it's, it's great to have a carnival, but I wanted to create a happening where it wasn't just rides, where it was an experience that people came to that they left and went, that was pretty special. That was pretty amazing. And we created that at the Polo club. And I think the first one we did, we got about 400 people and, You know, when I left there after being there for eight years, the last one that I did, we had over 4,000 people at the event. So when I came to Admiral's Cove, I met with the the entertainment committee here. I said, listen, I know we've been doing this carnival on the west side um, for all these years, but I want to change it to a street fair. And they said, well, Brett, this is something that's been a tradition here at the club. And I said, I know. I know, but I want to make it a better tradition that we've done. And, you know, they pushed back a little bit, and I said, Look, just give me one shot. Just give me one shot. And if we don't like it, we'll change it the following year. So last year was the first year we did it, and they had had previously about 600 people that came to, it. and last year we had, I think, about 14 or 1500 people. And, you know, everything from rides to great, and I'm not talking just carnival food, I'm talking really great food. I think we had. 20 food stations and marching bands and face painters. And it truly was a happening. And I remember standing in the middle of it while everything was going on and members were like, this is just incredible, Brett. We've never, we've never done something like this before. And it just, it really, it now, it's now it is the premier event at the club where this year we had close to 2000 people there. And, people are like, um, they're planning their vacations around it to make sure that year after year they're there for this street fair. But it's all about creating memories and creating these fun events and kind of looking at what you're doing and how can we be better? And how can we be different? Not just resting on your laurels from one year to the next, building on that, um, because that's what members want. They want, their club. They want to be proud of their club and they want to be able to um, have their home just be better every year.
1: Brett, just having you on the show today and Tom was absolutely spectacular. Thank you to you both. Thank you, Corey. And
2: Tom, thanks for having me. And Corey, it's always a pleasure to uh, spend time with you. And Tom, looking forward to seeing you at conference.
0: Absolutely. Congrats again. Thanks for everything you do. So let me tell you a little bit about
1: Copland, Keebler & Wallace, though, before we go. They are people-focused, quality-driven. Copland, Keebler & Wallace is the leading recruiting and consulting firm in the private club industry, voted best search firm of the year since 2006 by Boardroom Magazine. Their processes have been fine-tuned for 27 years and involve merging more than 500 years of combined expertise with a comprehensive understanding of stakeholders needs. In addition to executive search, KK&W is a benchmark in private club consulting, offering a full range of consulting services. Their board dynamics model has been implemented in over 450 private clubs and communities. Their best practices are respected and regularly highlighted by the leading industry publications and associations. They're also a founding member of Club Leadership Alliance. Through this partnership, KKNW, McMahon Group, and Club Benchmarking work together to effectively serve clubs in all their operational, financial, staffing, strategic, and facility aspects. Learn more at KKN, and, and that and is spelled out, W.com, KKNW.com under section heading for our clients. On behalf of Copland, Keebler, and Wallace, their best in the brightest leadership podcast. I'm Corey Sabin. Wonderful to be with you today.